Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn. Welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. Jim, good morning. Good morning, sir. And we have a jam-packed program today. we got some questions that have come in that I think um, kind of timely questions, and I can understand why they've been asking. Uh, the first question that we'll get to in the second half of the program is one that I think we're seeing ask a lot. Do I have enough money to retire? And that's right. going to be a question that we're going to try to help people walk through the process of answering that question. How much money do I need to retire? You know, what? how do you look at it? What do you do? So we'll give a couple of uh, short little tips on some things to look at. And then the next question came in yesterday, and I remind everybody that all they have to do to, to ask a question for us is send us an email at talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll get that question on, and the question was, with the market correcting. Now, that's, the, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was a little premature, but I understand the person's question right? because we've had a couple of down days, and, and you know, that kind of gets you thinking. So their question was, as I read it, with the market correcting, should I get out of the market? And, and you know, I understand that. I mean, it's that fear mindset. We talked about it last week. We right. seem to talk about it a lot on the program. But for some reason, it's a question that a lot of people ask. And so I know that if you look at the, the market and if we had a crystal ball, you know, you go back to the guys in December, all the predictions the Wall Street strategists were predicting, we're not up as high as everybody was predicting it would be. In fact, in the 19 weeks uh, of calendar year 2014, when if you go from you know, the the close of last Friday, right. you know, the whole idea being is that it's just not. I mean, we're, we're you know, it's down. It's not, not where they thought it'd be over 1900. Now it's gotten close. It's gotten close. And we're not on pace to make the gains that we had looked at, but we are in May. Well, and, and actually we're, we're moving along, but there may be a correction. And, uh, and we know that a technical correction is 10%. So we'll talk about that in the second half of the program. The reality is, sure. If you have a correction, but everybody, also these strategists are saying that we still could end up somewhere above 6 and maybe as high as 10% for the year. Now, that's just a prediction, and that's all they're doing is predicting. And Barron's, of course, that's where we get the statistics from, and, and they're, they're printing it because a lot of people are willing to make a prediction. A lot of people are willing to make a prediction, and this is, goes back to what we were talking about, about your perception about the market. Yeah. When the last couple of days we've seen volatility, we've seen double-digit declines, and I guarantee if we ask most investors how much have we lost this week, you know, it would be 3 4 5%. We're down a percent. Right. 1%. Right, right. <laughs> but, but that's the problem is right. the perception of what's going on. And that's why that question came in yesterday with the market correction. Correcting. 
And I understand that. Well, and CNBC ran a headline, and I did not get a chance to look at the chart, but their uh, headline was that small cap stocks have corrected yeah. to 10%. Now, small cap stocks, you know, we talked about market cap. That means we typically look at companies that have a market cap less than $2 billion. Right. And all we do to get market cap is just the number of shares times the share price. Right. So smaller companies, and they're more volatile, and we know that. And we know that. We'll actually talk a little bit about that. The difference between large cap and, and small cap and mid cap, we'll kind of go through that in the second half of the program because we are going to talk about six steps of controlling some of the emotions. And that's what we're talking about. Controlling Last week, what we, you can control. Yeah, knowing what you control. So we'll go through that too in the second half of the program. But the first half is jam-packed with a guy that we like to have on the program because he always seems to bring us great information, especially if you're interested in the Affordable Care Act and what's happening in health care. And if you tried to go and get something done with the, in a hospital recently and you've been turned down, which we know of someone, they had a test that they needed to have done, cancer, right. and it didn't happen. And, you know, is that a, is that a problem? And uh, is that something other people are facing? So we have Shannon Dyson. Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Shoemaker Benefits. And one of the great things I really like about talking with Shannon about the Affordable Care Act, and we've talked about this before and we've had this same conversation, but every time we talk about it, the rules are entirely different. So it's always new and interesting, and we rely on Shannon to get us up to speed and up to date on that. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn, here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Now let's take a break, see what's going on with traffic weather around town. Check out Market Watch in New York, but stick around and we'll be right back with Shannon Dyson to talk about implementation of the Affordable Care Act. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990. Of course, Talk Money is brought to you every Friday morning from 8 to 9 by Shoemaker Financial, which has been providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service throughout the Mid-South since 1978. At Shoemaker, it is not about the plan. It's about the results. You know, we're talking with uh, Shannon Dyson, and uh, Shannon does a great job, in, uh, especially bringing, I think, technical understanding or giving us a technical, I guess, data and helping us understand it when it comes to the Affordable Care Act. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to call it Obamacare anymore. Uh, you know, that's just a personal thing because reality is I don't want to give him credit for it, because, but it's it's here. So let's just call it the Affordable Care Act. I mean, <laughs> it's part of what we're going to deal with, and it's not going to go away. I don't think it's going to – I think it's going to get tweaked. Uh, but fortunately, I hope we can work it so it becomes better for – not only employers, but employees, or employees, and not only employees, but employers. And I'm right there with you, but perhaps for a little bit of a different reason. It's hard for me to put Obama and care together in the same sentence. It's just tough. You know, I, I kind of had a feeling that I might serve that up for my partner here. All right, Shannon, one of the biggest questions I think a lot of people have is, why don't you bring us to, I mean, you know, all the deadlines have passed. We did extend a couple of things, so... Bring us up to speed. A What's, couple of things. I, I think that's a loose that's definition a loose of a couple. loose definition of couple. All right. Okay. <laughs> 23 what, times we've changed this law, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, first off, Keith, are you okay with not calling it Obamacare? I, I think okay? I'm okay with that. Okay. All right. Great. All right. All right. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, what's going on now? What is the, what's the employer facing right now? The biggest uh, challenge the employers are facing now are, are employer groups that have uh, 100 or more employees. Uh, 2015 starts uh, the day where those employers are mandated to offer minimum essential coverage that is affordable for their employees. Uh, the, the 
The other uh, law that was pushed back were for employee, employers that employed 50 to 99 employees, and that was pushed back for another year. So they have another year to, to figure out and kind of decide uh, what they're going to do, if they're going to offer a plan, if they're going to pay the penalty. Uh, but for employer groups of 100 or more, that time is here, and they're looking now. Hmm. So, so give me, as, the, as an employer, give me the steps that I need to be, I guess, thinking about over the next 18 and 24 months. Sure, yeah. Uh, groups that already offer insurance to their employees right. of 100 or more, uh, they're kind of business as usual. They're, they're looking for ways to save money. They're looking for maybe different ways to uh, distribute that information to their employees, uh, different ways of doing business. Uh, groups that are 100 or more that do not offer insurance, they're scrambling right now trying to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to pay this penalty? What is the penalty? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I just can't imagine, and I guess you're going to tell me that this is more than I think, but the 100 employees or more and you're not offering that benefit, do you see a lot of that, Shannon? Yeah, you've got restaurant groups. Okay. Um, uh, any type of low income, what, where most of the employees are low income and wasn't wage this, earners. Wasn't Affordable Care Act about that group of people? I mean, that was the group that we were supposed to embrace. Sure. That's right. That's who it was designed it, to help. Designed to help. So you still haven't solved that problem with the Affordable Care Act. No, not not with a group plan, a group sponsored okay. plan. Okay. Uh, and those employee, those people that are in the low income market, they do have a solution in the private exchange exactly or the, I'm right. sorry, the public exchanges right. uh, in the in the marketplace. If they Choose to? If they choose to, if they go online and can get through the process. And, and they, that's better today, right? It I mean, is. We're much, much better, better. Than, than it was in October of last year. Night and day. Night and day. Night, night and day. But again, a person has to make a choice. Yep. They they have to decide, I want to have health care. Right. Well, and here's the here's kind of the catch-22. If an employer that has 100 or more employees offers a plan to its employees, um, but that a plan, it's still more expensive than an employee can afford. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's not more than 9.5% of their income, they lose their right to go into that marketplace and get a subsidy to help them get coverage. So you've got an employee who has low income. If the employer does not offer a health plan, they can go into the marketplace, qualify for a subsidy, and get help paying their insurance premium. If their employer now decides, okay, I am going to offer a health plan to comply with the law, because I don't want to pay a penalty, right? Then that employee loses their ability to go into the marketplace to get a subsidy, and they don't no longer get a subsidy. They no longer so get a subsidy. they may end up finding that their employer can say, "I'm going to provide a plan," but you, the employee, are going to have to pay a portion of that cost, correct? Which most of the time that's the key, correct? And it may be higher than what they could have gotten on their own. We're seeing that a lot, actually. Uh, it's just interesting. I mean, when you draft a law like that, and interesting. The idea, well, yeah, very <laughs> interesting the way it's playing out. <laughs> I mean, you're putting employers in a position to have to make a business decision, which is what they should do. Uh, and this was designed, as you said, to help lower income folks, to help people without health insurance. And it's not going to have that impact in a lot of in a lot of situations. Yeah, there's so many moving parts to this. When you have an employer that makes the decision, I have not offered health insurance, but I'm going to. Well, what type of insurance am I going to offer? I, if I haven't offered it in the past, it's for a reason. Mm. I couldn't afford it, uh, or or there was the perception that I couldn't afford it. Is there any subsidies for that employer? I mean, is that employer going to get a break or no. any? You but and Shannon, you made a great point when we were talking about it before the show. If they offer these lower cost plans, yep. then they get the tax deduction. So, the, so the option that an employer has: what type of plan am I going to offer? Because if I do not offer a plan and pay the penalty, you get no tax deduction for that penalty. 
And so you have insurance companies and employers scrambling to find plans that will meet the minimum essential coverage uh, that costs right around that $2,000 mark of what the penalty <laughs> is going to be. <laughs> so that's kind of that's what we're going to see. You think it? <laughs> <Yeah>. Got anything? <laughs> Trying to game the system there? I, mean, I don't know. But you know, that's really what I mean. Face it, we we have a long history of tying things to taxes and sure. and incentives and tax credits and how do you you know? It's not beat the system. It's just that we have to make the system work on our behalf. Well, here's the problem for the employee. So a minimum essential coverage plan would be a plan that would look like this: a six thousand three hundred dollar deductible mm. with no office visit copays and no prescription. Copays. Six thousand. That's huge. Correct. So anything. Wait, 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 wait. Let me say that again. Six thousand dollar deductible. Yes. A deductible. That means that <laughs> I go into the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. He decides I've got to have a procedure. It's going to cost fifty thousand dollars. But the first six thousand is coming out of my pocket. That's correct. And I make forty thousand dollars a year. Correct. Oh, boy. And isn't that why you have insurance so you don't have to pay the $6,000? Well, know, is, I mean, I, what am I going to be paying for now? That's 6000 that I the hospital is going to accept me. They're going to yeah. come up with some kind of a collateral statement. And I'm going to be making a payment. And, oh, my goodness, if I have two of those. Well, even, even the worst, the worst part of that. That's per individual, too, right? Per individual. So, so if you go into the doctor's office and have a, by the an way, x-ray. Oh, this is bad. I go in. I get sick. My wife comes in two months later. She's sick, and she's got the same problem. Uh, or another problem, and just go. And I tell her, you, you, "Hey, I, we paying for mine. You, you can't go. That's not good. Well, <laughs> that exactly. can create some problems. Well, you have a person. Or the that, child goes in. You say, help, not going to happen. It makes you think. What well, it does? It makes you think. And well, you, so you scary. have an employee that makes thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars a year, and they have a family of four. Their child goes in, needs some sort of X-ray done or some sort of blood work done. They walk out with a six hundred dollar bill. Because they're not getting any coverage until they meet until that they $6,000. 6, so now they got, mm. And so now that a plan is offered to them from their employer, they've lost the chance to go and get what they probably could have gotten, a subsidized plan that would have been better for them because the employer has had to make a decision. I don't want to just pay a penalty that goes to nothing. I'd like to offer at least something so I'm getting that tax write-off. And guys, I saw a study or I read a, an article yesterday that was talking about a study by S&P Capital, and they were looking at S&P 500 companies. Uh, and what they had found is if these companies drop their coverage over the next 10 years, they could potentially save, now listen to this number, $700 billion, billion with a B, dollars over the next 10 years by Fortune dropping just the Fortune 500 by dropping their coverage. That's a big number. That's a big number. <laughs> And, and it goes back to also that they're not getting anything for that now. If they drop their coverage, of course, some of these companies, it's not going to make that, that much of a difference to them. But sure. if you're a company in the 100 to 200 and you're going to have to pay this $2,000 per employee penalty, you'd like to get a tax deduction from it. So why not offer some sort of health plan so that you can do that? And those are the kind of things that we're looking at right now. Well, you know, in April of this past year, President Obama made the comment, and he said – at the White House, in a White House briefing, that 35% of the enrollees in the Affordable Care Act were between the ages of 18 to 34. I think that's right, 18 to 34. And then on 501, that was in April, about the 17th, on the data released by the Obama administration, that 28% of the enrollees were between the ages of 18 to 34. Now, I mean, the original estimate from the White House in the fall of 2013 was that 27 of the 7 million projected enrollees, 39% would be in that age. So, so it's kind of like we've projected, 
we've projected again, and now we're projecting. And every time we project, it seems that number is getting lower. And that's a that's and a that's a problem. That's an important number. Explain to us why that's an important number. I think a lot of people hear, but I'm not sure we completely understand mm-hmm. why that 18 to 34 number is critical. It was critical when when this plan was being drawn up. The, the most critical feature was that we were getting young, healthy people into the plan. Into the risk pool. Into the risk pool because we are, <clears throat> we're taking away health questions. We're not asking health questions on plans. We don't have preexisting conditions. Uh, so the insurance companies are taking everybody on, so it becomes imperative to get the 18 to 34-year-old age bracket into this plan. And they made their calculations and their subsidy calculations and everything that they did based on a certain percentage of that population coming into the plan. And what we've seen is that they haven't met it. They haven't met that expectation. Uh, and in a lot of cases, they hadn't even gotten close. Yeah, close. Because yeah. you really, in the Kaiser Foundation, did a study. You need about forty percent. Uh, right. You know, and that's right. why the thirty-five that the president had said, which was totally misleading, and he knew it was misleading because he was counting people younger than eighteen, uh, would have been in line. But twenty-eight's not. Well. I know we're going to take a break in a few minutes, but here's a statistic that 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 absolutely kind of—it's a real one, and it's a number that I need to know. But when we come back, I want you to kind of tell us a little bit about how old people—and I'm getting careful with this, <laughs> just careful. But let me give you this. This is kind of important. It's an estimated 9,100 Americans will turn 65 years old every day during 2014. Now that's 9,100 people every day. For 2014, and it will be eligible for Medicare for the first time. That's a total of 3.32 million new Medicare participants in 2014. Wow, that, that's a, <laughs> it's guys, a big number. I mean, you got to begin to put this in perspective for that. Between 9,100 to as many as 11,400 daily birthdays of folks reaching age 65 are projected to be repeated each day wow. till the end of 2029. It's a big demographic shift. That's a that's a big that's a you know and I mean is what's that going to do to our medical expense? So guys, when we come back, let's. Um, I really want to talk about that. And uh, Shannon, I want to talk about wellness programs. They seem to be coming out of the woodwork. So uh, plus, I have a couple of the first initial estimates on 2015 premiums from a couple of plans in Virginia. I want to see that. That's good. Do you think they're higher or lower? Higher. <laughs> I, I, Are you sure? Uh, I mean, <laughs> higher. That was pretty good. That's a good guess. <laughs> right. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. We're here every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. We're going to take a, prick, a quick break and go to Charles Osgood and the Osgood file. Stick around. We'll be right back with Shannon Dyson in the Affordable Care Act. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker, and we're speaking with Shannon Dyson. You know, and I want to remind everybody, we've got two questions that we're going to be dealing with. The first question is, how much do I need to have to to retire? That's in the second half of the program. And that's a question that the person that was asking is at that point, and they're trying to make that decision, how much is enough? So we're going to give you a couple of steps and thoughts and how to do that. And then the question came in yesterday is, reality uh, with the market correction, <laughs> just that's great, and that's—I mean, I—you know—I didn't laugh, but I mean, I think because to be honest with you, I know this person from a standpoint of when they asked the question. I, I don't know him personally, but I mean, I know when they were asking, they were serious. Well, and I'm not and laughing because I appreciate because a I... listener doing that, saying, "Hey, I'm willing to ask the question that I know may seem 
oh my goodness, but but it was a serious question. Right, because and they feel like that, and sure. that's real, and that's why it's important. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to manage some of that just to, and the, after we finish with Shannon here in a few minutes. But but those are two great questions, and we'll, we'll try to walk work through that. Remind and, everybody, if you've got a question for us, just go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Send us an email. We'll get the answer, either respond to you immediately to help you with your answer, or we'll definitely get it on the air for you as you're one of our favorite. Or if they listeners. just want to learn more about the firm and see what's going on, they can like us on Facebook. There you go. Like us on Facebook. That's amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, that. what are you? What, that I worked that in? <laughs> it is amazing. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> All right, we're talking with Shannon Dyson today, and Shannon's the expert in the office on the Affordable Care Act. We said we're not going to call it Obamacare. So um, the Affordable Care Act and, and where we're headed. And, you know, Shannon, you mentioned earlier about a Cadillac tax. Um, you know, and I mean, <laughs> That's a perfect scenario because I like the way – talk about that because I know employers are having to, to think through that process. Yeah, so it's on the other end of the spectrum of what we were just talking about, the minimum right. value plans. The Cadillac tax is an excise tax uh, that is uh, put on – it's a 40% tax on the value of a plan. For any plan that's valued over $10,000 for an individual or $27,000 for a family. Hmm. Uh, and with inflation the way it's going in health costs, that's going to be not, not going <laughs> right. to be that hard that's to not reach be hard to, no, at right. a certain point, especially for self-funded groups. So who's paying the tax? The employer is paying the tax, and that adds to his cost. It adds to their cost, yes. So they're having to make. They're, it, we're at 2014 now, and so say they look at their plan, their self-funded plan, and their value of those plans are approaching that limit or getting close to that limit. You can't wait until 2018 and no. take a benefit away from an employee who's used to having. So they've got to make decisions now on what they're going to be doing in the, over the next four years to either to try and reduce the cost of what they're paying. I know this is creating a lot of what I call, uh, this for a better word, bedroom industry, you know, where there's a lot of people as consultants. And I know you, you're, you're loaded and you're doing a lot of this. And I guess anybody listening that would like to get some information from Shannon, you can always call the office at 757 757- Five seven five seven. Ask for Shannon, and uh, you know, great, great resource. He really is. And, and Shannon, I'm always impressed at how much you know about this, and and the fact that I know you do this on a day to day basis, and I and I appreciate that. Uh, and you're you're available if the person's got a question and and kind of runs into a wall. Uh, one of the problems and one of the issues, I guess, you're seeing, and this is really going to kill the insurance companies if they're not careful for the self funding and having the ability to juggle the self that's the best way I know how to put it. Tell us about that. Yeah, so you've got uh, self-funded groups, and by self-funding, it basically a company is paying the own, their own claims. Uh, they have an insurance company that administers that for them, but the, ins- the, ins- the employer is paying the claims of the employees. So um, if someone has a claim that the employer, you know, and it's $10,000, the employer will step in and pay that. The employer is paying that. Now, they have a company like Annette or a Blue Cross or someone administer that, so they will send them the bill, but the employer is funding those claims. Right. They're paying it out of pocket. Paying it out of and pocket. And they're charging each employee a certain amount of money. Correct. They're collecting the money. Correct. So it's a pool that they're setting aside. Yes. And, and as long as everybody's healthy, the pool grows up. You have a couple of bad claims, and the pool gets in trouble. And so you see this with employer groups of usually at least 200 to 300 or more. Or more. Uh, that have enough employees to spread the risk, right. basically. And the key word there is spread the risk. Spread the risk, because exactly. Law of large numbers. You can, yeah, that's a, yeah, there you go, power of large numbers. It can be a, it can be a nightmare. We've Absolutely. seen some plans yep. that 
All it takes is one or two people. And the old system, those one or two people, you just dealt with it and moved yep. on. Now I hear that there's some some ways around that. Well, this is kind of we've been reading. Kind of some, manipulating the system. <laughs> I'm being creative. Yeah. Been reading know. some articles lately on what some large employer groups are doing and that they're looking at, you know, they'll have a person that has some sort of disease that's going to be ongoing and they're taking prescriptions for it that can range anywhere from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars per month, uh, which you know, it would kill your reserves that you've that you've had over the years for having good healthy years. Good Good employee that's yep. doing a great job for the company, but has got to take this medication in order to stay an employee. In order, in order to live. Right. They, this, they have to have this medication. Right. And so, like you said in the past, these employer groups have just said they've had to find a way to right. find a way to deal with it. Um, a new avenue, since, you know, no longer in the individual health market, there are no health questions asked, no pre-existing conditions. Uh, we're looking, we've, had experts looking into the law. They don't see anywhere where it says that employer cannot purchase insurance in the individual market on behalf of the employee uh, and purchase a platinum-level plan uh, that would cover this employee's prescriptions on a fully insured basis. Uh, now, that could become that could pose a problem in the future for the employer uh, because you don't really want to broadcast that you're buying one employee <laughs> a platinum plan. But that's what an employer is going to have to make a decision on. Do we want to do this or not? Uh, you know, if you've got a, if you, I mean, I'm thinking of myself, uh, when I went through a stem cell research, you know, the stem cell transplant. Sure. I, mean, I was taking some heavy medication and then had the stem, and it was expensive. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, would I have sat down and said, you know, why don't I step outside of the plan, buy my platinum plan, um, I wouldn't have been subsidized, of course. Right. I'd have had to pay the premium. Right. But that premium was a whole lot less than what I, my plan, if I'd have been self-funded, would have had to belly it up, I guess, you know, and say, hey, here's what I got to pay, $150,000. And that would have been easy for me to transfer that risk right. to an insurance company. Sure. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, in, that was not overnight, a, by the way. Just, I mean, I, it's preconditioned. I already know it's coming. So I step into the pool, which they hadn't collected a dime of premium from me, yeah. and yet they're about to pay an enormous It claim. makes you think right. about what's, what's going to what's, happen what, in the individual market. it takes is a couple of those. I mean, yeah. you know, and the insurance company's going, oh, they're choking. And if it's not against the law, you can bet that employers are doing yeah. it. It's, it's happening. Well, no doubt. again, that's, again, we've kind of talked about this. The Affordable Care Act is going to have to be tweaked. What we see it as today will not what we will see 2015, 2016. Uh, You get a a new set of room makers into the Congress and people that can begin to tweak this to improve it. But these are the kind of loopholes. I think it's interesting to see how this is beginning to be vetted from a standpoint of, as we both know, Keith, it was written, done overnight. Some people admitted they didn't even read it. You know, I was going to say, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked that anything written, you know, that was 20,000 plus pages by Nancy Pelosi in the middle of the light has a loophole in it. I, I can't believe that, that, you know. And by the way, we are not recommending that loophole. <laughs> yeah, right. By exactly the, right. The employer yeah. crew. Let's make sure. You did not hear that from us. We, we are saying we have read that is what's going that's on. Been, we're not, we're not some, recommending that. some information that. that we've read about <laughs> yeah. and we're just disclosing. Yeah. It. It's not something that we're implementing. No, that's ex- you know, right. yeah. yeah, boy, that's a good point. You know, I can't see it. You know, well, I heard on it in the radio. They said it was okay. <laughs> we talk about a successful bank robbery. We are not <laughs> advocating for you to rob banks. Absolutely. Uh, wellness, uh, and let's talk about that. And, and, yeah. and I mean, I'm really, because that's really becoming kind of a f- 
movement sure. in the industry. Yeah, wellness is um, really big in larger corporations, uh, mainly because most of those corporations are self-funded. And since they're paying for their own claims, they have a vested interest in making sure that people that have ongoing conditions like diabetes, uh, other heart-related conditions, are getting help are seeing doctors regularly and are exercising and keeping in shape because that is a, that d- directly reflects what they pay in claims each year. You know, I, I think I can say this. I don't think I'd be divulging, but I was at a corporation yesterday. Uh, this is Ring Container out in uh, Oakland, uh, great friends of ours, and we've worked with them a long time. And, and, and I was so impressed. They have a wellness program, mm-hmm. and they have eliminated – soft drinks, sugar-related soft drinks. They've gone to water or a diet drink, and they've eliminated the the snacks that were, uh, you know, fat-oriented or sugar-oriented, and have gone to fruit and, and healthy, you know, fat-related or fat-free type. And I was impressed. They really are focusing as a corporation on the wellness of their employees. I mean, I know the HR person, the vice president of HR out there, and, and, and all the people that are, you know, involved, the manager of this area uh, does a great job, Sandy. And, I mean, they're just involved. And, I mean, really about the employee. And so if that's what's come out of Affordable Care Act, great. That's really healthy for us as a, as a country. Well, as an employer, you have, to, you have to have that level of buy-in. If you don't, it'll never work. What a lot of employers do, they'll do health screenings or, or they'll just throw that out once a year. Um, and then that's pretty much it. The employers that actually go the next step, uh, we've done at our firm with different uh, employer groups, uh, Biggest Loser programs, yep. where we go in and help administer right. that and tell them, hey, let's, let's have a weight loss competition. Um, let's get people healthy and thinking about exercise. We've had companies that say, we're going to allow you 15 minutes in the middle of the day to go out and walk around the building. That's right. Uh, just to get exercise. Right. And so that they're doing that with, with healthy foods. I think that's a great idea. Well, I know I know that the senior management and the executive team out there have bought into this and have done a great job, and, and, and I just really appreciate what they're doing. And you can just tell it's great for that company, uh, and, and they're getting the results. Uh, Keith and I have a Biggest Loser contest going on, and right now he's winning. Big time. <laughs> you know? Uh, big time. I mean, uh, how much weight you lost? A total yeah. about thirty five pounds. I guess, pounds. How like much that. weight have I gained? Uh, about thirty. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm highly motivated. It's yes, easy you when you're motivated. Yes, if you, can you connect are. With your Shannon, you've done a great job for us today, Thank man. You. you just continue Thank to bring good information, really good information, and you keep it, uh, you know, not so heavy. That it's hard to understand. I'll tell you this every time I'm here. I just need to take you two guys with me to all my meetings and let you talk about <laughs> me for the first five minutes, and then I'll come in. And there you go. I Appreciate thought he was going to bring you in as an example of what of not to do for wellness. Yeah, or, you know. yeah. uh, you know I'm what? not going there. It is definitely time for a break. <laughs> if you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990. We've just been speaking with Shannon Dyson about some strategies for dealing with the Affordable Care Act. We're going to take a quick break, go to Rebecca Brazier for a Mid-South History Moment, but stick around. We'll be right back to talk about how much money you need to save for retirement and what you should do when the market corrects. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. You know, Shannon does a great job. He does a great job. And the thing about it is, uh, I think that the long run, we needed to fix some of our health insurance needs here in the country. Um, I'm not so sure that the Affordable Care Act, as we know it today, is fixing that. 
And really, you know, that's that's, and I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off, no, but that's ahead. been one of the most frustrating things about this is that people act like if you don't believe in the Affordable Care Act, you think that everything's fine with healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare absolutely needs to be fixed. There's right. some real issues, and we've addressed some of those. You know, having people that had pre-existing conditions capable of buying insurance yeah. is a great thing. Nobody should be denied health. Exactly and right. This is what we're trying to do. I, I just have to say though that we've got some things that's got to be fixed. Well, our only thing is we would like to fix it without wrecking the economy. Yes, yes, absolutely. Speaking of the economy, the question, and again, this part of the program, every Friday we try to answer questions that anybody that's listening or anybody that would like to just get an answer, I guess, Keith, why don't you tell people how we can listen, how they can listen to us. And again, uh, we are in the process of going to a podcast where the program and Art's going to do a great job for us. And we so much appreciate what Art does for us. Do it some editing. So if you really got to wanted to say you missed part of the program, but you wanted to be able to get into the program on the podcast, you can go in and listen to the segments. As you know, we'll, they'll they'll not have any commercials, no traffic, no weather, just just the program. And and I appreciate Art doing that for us. And I think it's going to help people understand that. They miss it on Friday, but like next week, Bob Dahl is going to be our guest next week. That's and, right. Uh, you know, my goodness, Chief Investment Officer for Nuveen, tremendous guest. You hear him on MSNBC. You hear him nationally, CNN. I mean, we're fortunate to know him personally and have a great relationship, and he does the program with us. And obviously, uh, he's the type of, if you miss him, you want to hear him. You want to hear Bob. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the the fact that we can now do this with podcasts and go into Talk Money and do that and click on it, and Art's going to edit it so that you're just listening to Bob. And we'll have those coming out on iTunes over the next couple of weeks. So anyone that has a show they want to go back and revisit can certainly do that. Absolutely. And you can always listen to us in one of three ways. Either listen to us on the radio, AM 990. uh, Go onto the Internet, search for our homepage, kwam990.com. You can just click on Watch and Listen Live, which is in the top left corner. Or you can go to the App Store, search for our free mobile app, KWAM 990, download the app and listen to us on your mobile device. That's exactly right. And I guess we're just trying to build the program around things that, you know, people are interested in and, and need to hear the answers. And here's the question that came into us. And again, uh, we're just trying to answer the question how much money will I need in retirement? And a statistic that kind of shocks you today is 46% of the boomers today. And remember, I gave that statistic 9,100 right. a day. Uh, literally almost half are not confident that they're going to have enough money to retire. And the problem was, I think, or problem is, when they were started in the workforce at 25 years old, uh, you know, pretty much were told, hey, you retire at 65 and you're going to be dead by the time you're 72. Right. That number now is out to 90. And uh, if you're a healthy 65-year-old today, when I say healthy, we're not talking about you don't, you're not being diagnosed with cancer or you've had two heart attacks or you got hypertension out the gazoo. I mean, the bottom line is a person who's pretty active, doing some exercise, eating properly, that 65-year-old is going to live to be, or, or if you have two, one of them is going to live to be 90. That's exactly right. And, you know, how often do we hear that when we're talking to clients about their time horizon? And, you know, you might have a 60-year-old that says their time horizon is five years, thinking about when they're going to retire. And it's not five years. It's 25 years. Yeah. I mean, you've got to plan that out into the future. And, of course, that takes more planning on the front end. And I know you get this question a lot. So what do you tell clients when they ask you, how much do I need to retire? Well, let's start with that. First of all, it's what do you want to do? I mean, so many people think if I'm going to retire and my income has been fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars, I can retire on half. 
And the reality is you can if you don't want to do anything. I mean, if you've been accustomed to a lifestyle and you've been playing a little golf, you've maybe doing some traveling, uh, you know, if somebody says, well, I travel three times a year, we go overseas or we go on a vacation, we'll cut, cut that down to once, one time. Uh, you know, that's a possibility, but the reality is why? And that's one of the things, you know, we saw in a recent survey of investors, you know, what what the, their most important consideration is for retirement. And it's what does your retirement look like? And that's exactly what you're talking about. What do you want to do? What does that look like? Exactly. So a lot of people have to start thinking about what is it, you know, what is it that I want to do when I retire? How much capital am I going to need to drive what my desires are? So at first, you need to make a list of those desires and and start with that and, and plan through that process and do the best you can to, and it takes some communication. Uh, what we find is we work with clients is sometimes when they come into the office, it's the first time they've ever thought about that. They, they've right. got a mindset, but it's the first time they started writing it down. And, and they need to write it down. You've got to drill down and focus into it. It is very hard to chart a course if you don't know what your destination is. And the second thing I think is, is how much debt are you carrying? Because, if, you know, if, if people have to look at debt. You know, if you've got a lot of credit card debt, that needs to be eliminated. you got a lot of car debt, maybe you need to start working on that. Home debt. And, and, you know, again, we don't tell anybody that they have to pay off their home. Right. But it is an emotional decision. Some people just absolutely... You know, they can afford to pay the house at a low rate of interest, let's say three and a half, as we know, there's some, you know, you could have gotten some three and a half interest rate mortgage rates for 30 years or 4%. It's kind of, you know, I'm not going to say to the person, well, don't pay the house off because it's so low. It is to do with, you know, how do you feel about it? I mean, again, sometimes we make the numbers do some talking, but the reality is I want them to know they make that decision. But you have to examine that. You have to look at debt. Now, when we come back, you're going to find out that baby boomers are not the only problem here. Even though 9,100 a day are coming through, the Gen Xers and Ys have also got to talk about how much am I going to need. So 9,100 a day turning 65. You know, we talk about a lot. 10,000 a day retiring. Those numbers uh, are going to play out for years to come. And I'm going to give you three possible steps or three thoughts outside of what we've talked about so far that will help you understand what you need to do if you're about to retire. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. We're going to check out traffic weather, what's going on with CBS Market Watch in New York, but stick around for those three thoughts. Well, Keith, one of the biggest things that we look at is the reality that when we start thinking about retirement, there there's a there's a need that you kind of start with some numbers. So let's take a person, $80,000, family income of $80,000 coming okay. in. What basically the statistics show us and say a minimum used to be 70%. Now we're saying it's 80%. So 80% of a person, if their gross income was at 80000 so 80% is a minimum number. So let's go with that number of $64,000. Okay. If their number at their peak was 80000 let's start with a $64,000 as far as the amount of income they're going to need. Statistics tell us that people are far short of that. And the Generation X and Ys, the X guys and the Y generation, they have done little or no. They're having children later in life. Right. They're not thinking retirement, and they're putting it off. And the longer you put it off, the more it's going to cost you. As we both know, if you start for 25 years old and you save for 10 years, 
and you just let it earn 4%. You just save $2,000 a year for those 10 years. You're going to have over a million dollars when you get to you're, be You're good if you but start early. Good. Compound interest does it a really wonderful is. thing. It's kind of that miracle of, you know, the seventh wonder of the world, eighth wonder of the That's world. Albert Einstein. Yeah, it's absolutely. <laughs> so people need to start early, and they and they don't a lot. So what I'm saying is now if you're at that point where you've got to look at your income, 80% of that income should be ready to, you know, put to work for you. And you need to have a certain amount of debt paid off. You need to have a certain amount of uh, dollars that you know that you're going to use for leisure. Know what your budget needs are. But a ballpark. What your needs are. And I think you said a really good one in there. Leisure. It's not just what you're paying on your mortgage or your car note. It's what you pay to go to the movies and McDonald's and everything else I that you I tell everybody, if you've been accustomed to the 60-inch Blu-ray <laughs> flat right. screen HD TV. You don't want to go watching the 14-inch big old black and white one. You, know? you do not. I mean, not a chance. And so people have to get to do that. So first of all, let's say, number one, there's a lot of calculators that you can find. And go on, you know, online. you got Morningstar. you got, I mean, there's tons of them. I, I don't, just go type in financial calculator. We have several that are very sophisticated, uh, and we they do a lot for Social Security. But you can start. A lot of times your retirement, your 401K plan, your provider has a calculator for you to look at. Go online, do some of these retirement calculations, and find out what you need to think. But here's the key. If it tells you how long do you plan to retire, push it out further than you think. Overplan. Overplan. Because, as I said earlier, if they're two healthy 65-year-old, one of you has got a great chance of living to be 90. And it's so funny. We always talk about this for planning to live longer as planning for the worst. <laughs> you know, exactly. plan, plan to live exactly. to 100. Exactly. Yeah. So the second thing is kind of take a shortcut. And this is kind of something we tell a lot of people on that spot moment, you know, thought process. And I'm going to give you kind of this thought here is take a shortcut to get a ballpark figure. I need people to be aware that they're, they've got to do some planning. It's not going to just happen. And it's not going to be an exact number, and it doesn't have to be an no, exact number. it doesn't Ballpark. have to be. Right. So, again, if a person's making that $64,000, let us just take 50000 because I can do the math real easy. Okay. A $50,000 need, that's my income. All right, what Your should I Your income need in my retirement. Income need, somewhere between 10 and 12 times. If we say 10 times and $500,000, minimum I need 12 times, $600,000. So I have to have accumulated $600,000. A lump sum, $600,000. That's right. That's a sum number. That's a total. $600,000. And the reality is that can come from your personal savings plan or your 401k or your retirement dollars, your pre, you know, pre-retirement. And a lot of times it's both. It's both. It should be both. Right. As I say to everybody, every retirement plan consists of a three-legged stool. That is your 401k or your retirement IRA or whatever that is. Roths, I don't your care. Your qualified what, money. Your qualified money. Number two, your personal savings money. And that money needs to be there. So that's a right. discipline. And third, it should be Social Security. So the three-legged stool needs to be in play at all times. And then I think what people don't realize is what's the savings rate? What should I really need? How should I start? So if I'm talking to that 25-year-old mom and dad, go tell them this is what you start with because you got to discipline yourself. If I can do that 18%, now that includes everything. That's, you know, Social Security. That's every dime that you're setting aside for the future up to maximum of 18%. 18%. Not a maximum, a minimum, a minimum. A minimum of 18%. That's savings, that's qualified money, and that's Social Security. All those numbers, bottom line is you, you should be able to reach your goal.
Now, and that's a big number. That uh, is a big number. But it's a very important goal. Well, if people look at it that they're putting aside 6%, let's say, and then the firm, their, their employer is matching 6 that's 12% right that's there. That's right there. And so that's a start. But you can't wait till you're 60. No. This is talking about, <laughs> I'm actually talking about a 25-year-old to the minimum, excuse me, I'm saying 35-year-old, if you missed the first 10 years, a 35-year-old starts saving, if he'll do the 18% number, they should make it. That's that's great advice. All right, second question that we came in. I hope we helped that person look at that. How much is enough? I definitely think so. Ten to twelve uh, times your earnings that you need, or your the the income that you need in retirement. It's a great a great uh, yardstick. But here's about the the idea of we're having a correction. The bottom line is faith in the future. I'm reading a book today, and it's a great book. I recommend it to anybody. History of Wall Street. It's a book that I read years ago, and I'm just revisiting. Faith in the future. I can promise you we've had all kinds of turmoil in our country over the years, but we seem to make it. So have faith. Be optimistic. If you're not an optimistic person, you shouldn't be investing. That's exactly right. And in the future, you know, we were looking at, uh, we had a stack of papers in the office that had headlines from the past week. And, and the news is negative. You've got to ignore the short-term news. Absolutely. Focus on the future. And then be patient. Be patient. I mean, that's incredibly important. And that's hard for a lot of people. I've Keep got a great mind. quote for you. Investing right. should be more like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, <laughs> take $800 and go to Las Vegas. I hear you. <laughs> That's that is great, and that's Paul Samuelson, who's an economist and Nobel laureate. Uh, you know, that's good advice. I think another thing is just know your discipline. Know that the fact that you have a temper, you know, a real understanding about what discipline is. So, great faith in the tips. future, patience, and be disciplined. Faith in the future, patience, and be disciplined. Hey, if you follow those things, you will do well. I had a good time today. I did too. I enjoyed it's it. It's always a good. I time. hope you enjoyed the show with Shannon Dyson. Join us next week. We're going to have Bob Dahl, who is the chief economist for Naveen Capital Management. I want to thank Art Frederick, Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator, Jeff Long, our compliance officer, Drew Johnson, who writes our Mid South History Moments, and Rebecca Brazier, who reads them. I'm Keith Quinn, and I'm Jim Shoemaker. Join us next week when we'll help you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.